MSW Media. Thanks to Future Hindsight for supporting Daily Beans. Future Hindsight is an award-winning podcast that takes big ideas about civic life and democracy and turns them into action items for you and me. Join host Mila Atmos every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts or on futurehindsight.com. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, May 31st, 2022. Today, the January 6th committee's access to RNC vendor records has been put on hold by three Trump-appointed judges. Ex-Proud Boy Enrique Tarrio has been ordered to remain in pretrial detention. An update on the Department of Justice review of the police response to the Uvalde school shooting. And a bipartisan group of senators is meeting remotely over their holiday weekend to discuss gun reform. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Sorry, I didn't sound so excited about a bipartisan group of senators. <laughs> I know you were like, oh, give me a break. They they went home. Um, yeah. That was kind of flabbergasting. I want to say I'm surprised by this shit, but I'm not. Like, I... I'm just not. I mean, the fact that we can't. I think there's only four senators that they. And I, even when I apologize for my voice, I'm actually not feeling well at all. But the show must go on. And so as long as uh, you, you're okay on your end, I'll get through it on mine. But um, I think there's only like four Republicans, senators or something like that, that were even up to actively talk about gun reform. Not, not, we're not sure, not, no comment, just four that were like, yeah, let's discuss this. And there's no history of at all of like Republicans being disingenuous, right? No, not at all. I'm sure they're all, yeah, they, you know, they follow their word and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Like since history, you know, sarcasm font. Uh, can you have a sarcasm font? On oh my podcast? god, we should. I, I italics. <laughs> I feel like italics should also be sarcasm font. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, they left for the Memorial Day holiday, which they get the whole week off, by the way. Um, but speaking of Memorial Day, I've been thinking about my dad a lot today, um, and I know a lot of uh, listeners have relatives, loved ones, friends who have passed in service of our country. So. I just want to reach out to everyone and say that uh, I hope you have a very safe, or you had, I guess, since this is coming out Tuesday, a very safe Memorial Day. Uh, and we're able to remember, um, remember all those who sacrificed. So later on in the show, this is so cool, Dana. I'm going to be talking to Dan Duncan. In, he's in South Carolina. He's uh, running for state house there. Nice. He's, it's a deep red district, but he's actually uniquely situated to flip the district. And, and we'll talk about Ooh. why. As we kick off this season's group of uh, Flip It Blue segments. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we have a lot of other news to get to. So let's hit the hot note. Hot notes. All right, up first, a panel of three federal appeals court judges. Well, actually, one sort of judge and two idiots has temporarily stopped the House committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack from accessing records it had demanded of the mass email marketing vendor used by the RNC and Donald Trump's 2020 re-election campaign. A lower court had ruled that a House committee could subpoena those records, uh, which the panel said it needed ahead of scheduled public hearings as part of its probe into the coup. But a panel of the U.S. Court Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit 
and joined the release of records to Congress while it considers an appeal, the RNC. And when I say they drew really unlucky here, because, you know, these judges, these three panel judges for appeals are randomly assigned. Ah. The only three Trump appointees were randomly assigned to this particular case. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Judge Gregory Katzis, Naomi Rao and Justin Walker, all Trump appointees. They first issued an emergency order Tuesday, followed by an injunction on Wednesday. The panel will hear oral arguments on June 14th. That's when they decided to schedule this because, you know, that doesn't, you know, interfere with the committee's work or anything. Um, The House Select Committee is set to end its public hearings the week after that. So it won't even be decided. U.S. District Judge Timothy Kelly of Washington, another Trump appointee, uh, but this Trump appointee rejected the RNC's claims that the House committee lacked a legitimate purpose and imperiled the First Amendment by prying into Republic- Republican political messaging. Kelly gave the RNC time to appeal his ruling, but would not stay his ruling beyond that, saying the GOP committee has not shown uh, that uh, the balance of the equities and the public interest tip sharply in its favor. Sorry, RNC, this doesn't tip in your favor. Of course, these three other... Trump appointees on the appellate court have decided it does at least enough to put an injunction in and hear the appeal arguments. I almost feel like we should call them McConnell appointees because we know that the reason that uh, you have this fluke that three of them are happen to be on Trump's side is because McConnell jammed through so many fucking nominees and nominations for the court while he was there because that's what he does because he's an evil, evil man. And two of them shouldn't even be judges. Exactly. Uh, This next story, I just want to give a content warning. It's about the Uvalde shooting. The Justice Department announced Sunday it will conduct a review of the law enforcement response to the mass shooting at Robb Elementary. And then that left, as we know, 19 children and two teachers dead. This is a quote. At the request of Uvalde Mayor Don McLaughlin, the U.S. Department of Justice will conduct a critical incident review of the law enforcement response to the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, on May 24th. And that's the DOJ spokesman, Anthony Coley. That's what he said in a statement. Someone is expected to be selected in the next few days, two sources familiar with uh, the process told CNN. Now, the Justice Department has traditionally relied on individuals outside the DOJ with law enforcement expertise and on-the-ground experience with mass casualty events to comprise the team that conducts reviews into such incidents. Now, the department has previously conducted after-action reviews following mass shootings in San Bernardino, California, That was December of 2015 and the Pulse nightclub in Orlando in 2016. Texas officials and law enforcement have been under intense scrutiny for the way the officers responded or did not respond. And that's not in the article, but that's what fucking happened to the shooting. Now, CNN has reported that the response by law enforcement in Uvalde ran contrary to commonly taught active shooter protocol established after the Columbine school shooting in 1999 to stop the shooter as quickly as possible and even bypass helping the injured. Now, while the gunman was inside adjoining classrooms, a group of law enforcement, 19 of them, officers, they stood outside the classroom in the school for roughly 50 minutes, 5-0, as they waited for room keys and tactical equipment. That's what CNN reported. I don't know why they didn't just... Okay, I'm going to keep my... This is when I get in trouble and I usually get... We usually get like someone writing in because I said something off the cuff, so... (laughs) Being sick and being angry, I'm just going to take a breath and keep reading the story. Now, Texas Governor Greg Greg Abbott said Friday that he is demanding a full accounting of what happened during the school shooting, 
saying he had been initially misled. Oh, he was mad, yeah. About certain information he was given by law enforcement officials leading the investigation into the attack. The Justice Department review aims, quote, to provide an independent account of law enforcement actions and responses that day and to identify lessons learned and best practices to help first responders prepare for and respond to active shooter events. And that was Conley from the DOJ. I mentioned him earlier. Went on to say the review will be conducted with the department's Office of Community-Oriented Policing. As with prior Justice Department, after action reviews of mass shootings and other critical incidents, the assessment will be fair, transparent, and independent. The Justice Department will publish a report with its findings at the conclusion of its review. And interestingly, um, when Merrick Garland spoke at, uh, I think, Harvard this weekend, he, he mentioned that um, he, he talked about it. Uh, he talked about the shooting and how, how we need to do everything to uh, prevent them. And you know, as you and I know, Dana, thoughts and prayers aren't. No, they are not. All right. Next up, former top leader of the Proud Boys, stupid skinhead, will remain jailed while awaiting trial on charges that he conspired with other members of the far-right extremist group to attack the U.S. Capitol by force and stop Congress from certifying Biden's victory. That's what a federal judge has ruled again. He's asked for this a lot. Uh, Henry Enrique Tario poses a danger to the public that cannot be mitigated by home detention and banning him from using social media. That's Judge Timothy Kelly. That's the same judge, by the way, that wanted the 1-6 committee to get the RNC documents, the Trump yes. appointee. Yes, he seems to be doing a good job here. Pretty reasonable guy. Uh, yeah, Andrew, um, who I host Clean Up on All 45 with, has uh, tried cases and knows him and says he's he's a pretty fair dude. Nice. Tario, a South Florida resident, has been jailed since his arrest on March 8th, a day after his indictment on charges of uh, on charges, including conspiracy. A federal magistrate in Miami previously ordered his pretrial detention. So as we know, Tario and other Proud Boys leaders use encrypted channels, social media, and other electronic communications to plan and carry out a plot to storm the Capitol on January 6th and interfere by force with the congressional certification of the Electoral College vote. Tario asked Judge Kelly to order his release on bond, but the judge rejected that request. Kelly, the judge, said the evidence against Tario is very strong, despite Tario's argument that authorities essentially don't have a smoking gun against him. Quote, perhaps in the form of direct evidence of an order from Tario to other Proud Boys to storm the Capitol. <laughs> that seems pretty direct. Yeah, before he left Washington, Tario met with Oath Keepers founder and leader Elmer Stewart Rhodes and others in an underground parking structure for approximately 30 minutes. We know that. We've seen that video. Rhodes and several other members or associates of the anti-government Oath Keepers militia are charged with seditious conspiracy in the Capitol attack. The Proud Boys aren't. Yet. Uh, his argument for pretrial release, Tario's, was that he wasn't even at the Capitol that day. I wasn't even there. Uh, and that he didn't discuss the attack with Rhodes in the parking garage the night before. But the judge, Judge Kelly, pointed out that there's a lot more going on that makes you a danger to the public, including prior arrests and your future plans to overthrow the government by force, like all that. So, no, you can't, can't get out. Now, Tario claims to have stepped down as the Proud Boys national chairman. Five other men linked to the Proud Boys, Ethan Nordine, Joseph Biggs, Zachary Reel, Charles Donahoe, and Dominic Pozzola, were charged in the same March 7th indictment as Tario. Donahoe, 34, of Kernersville, North Carolina, pled guilty in April to conspiracy and assault charges and has agreed to cooperate in the DOJ case against the other Proud Boys. Nordine, Biggs, Reel, and Pozzola also remain jailed while awaiting trial scheduled for August. Still nothing, though, on that third superseding indictment for the Proud Boys promised by the Department of, De uh, Department of Justice by May 20th 
in an earlier Taro Tario detention filing. Remember I posted that? I'm like, look here. Yes. You're, there's going to be more charges and more people. Uh, by May 20th, they figure. I guess that was an estimate, but they seemed pretty sure of themselves. But I'll keep you posted. Please do. And uh, going back to the topic of gun reform, you mentioned this at the top of the uh, of the of the segment. A bipartisan group of senators hoping to find common ground on gun policy. They plans to continue talks this week in the wake of the tragic elementary school shooting uh, at Robb Elementary that we and will 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 be focused on. I hope for a while, so this one doesn't again just disappear. Uh, the Senate is not in session this week uh, during the memorial recess period, but lawmakers plan to meet remotely. Republican Senator John Cornyn, he told reporters in his home state of Texas on Monday that the group of senators will be meeting on Tuesday over Zoom to try to see if we can agree on a basic framework about how we go forward. A Texas Republican has been tapped by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to engage in bipartisan talks on gun reform. Now, Cornyn said Monday that many issues on gun reform should be discussed at the state level, but that he does believe, quote, there are some things we need to do and I think we can do at a national level went on to say, I mentioned access to mental health, to mental health treatment and diagnosis is absolutely critical. Uh, he went and added that COVID-19 has isolated many young people during, ah. quote, an important period of social development. Yes, let's blame mm. COVID now. So the lockdowns yes. uh, caused mental health that causes mental health problems that cause shootings. And that's what he wants to discuss with this bipartisan group. That's what we need to do. We need to uh, talk about the mental health thing and then also what doors go after the doors yep doors yep uh, he also said background checks have to be a national conversation as well uh cornyn noted other possible quote limitations under federal law of what sort of firearms you can buy and own and maintain if you have a criminal or mental health record and uh he also said we'll be looking at all of that okay great let's stigmatize mental health a little bit more yep i know <laughs> this this story makes me angry. It's far from clear that the bipartisan effort will amount to anything, <laughs> given the highly polarized political environment. Entrenched partisan divisions have resulted in a stalemate over gun policy in Washington for years, AG. Most legislation requires 60 uh, votes. You know what, though? And I know you didn't write this. Um, entrenched partisan divisions have resulted in a stalemate? No. no. The NRA has resulted Absolutely. in blocking been blocking common sense. They all own, they own all these fucking senators. Most legislation requires 60 votes, as we know, to overcome a filibuster in the Senate. And as a result, Senate Democrats, who only control 50 seats right now, we need at least 10 Republicans to pass any kind of gun measure. And as I told you before, that is not the number we are at. But lawmakers are under intense pressure to take action in the aftermath of the elementary school shooting, which has shocked the nation and led to a massive public outcry. And these kinds of stories tend to only stay in the news for three days. It's been nearly a week, and it's still headline news, which David Hogg, a Parkland survivor and gun reform advocate, it says it gives him some hope that this time it's going to be different. He tweeted this out today. Uh, he said, I spent over three years now studying the issue every single day, studying the history of American conservatism, movements, behavioral economics, gun policy, public opinion, the art of war, and more. All were reflecting on my own experience. This time will be different. He also said this, we can choose to be hopeful, try and possibly fail, or not be hopeful, give up and definitely fail. Mm. March with us June 11th, wherever you are, and bring friends with you who will all have the same enemy, gun violence. 
Let's put our politics aside and save our kids. We must work together. These kids aren't Democrats or Republicans. They are our future. And I think the one dem- the one person I see talking about that is Beto, especially in Texas. You know, O'Rourke's talk, he said, whether you're an independent, Republican, Democrat, this is about our children. And, and I know that there are a lot, there are a lot of Republicans. We've seen the polls. There was a poll that just came out. The majority of people in this country support gun reform. They support universal background checks. They support getting AR-15s off the streets. This is the majority of Americans, not just Democrats. Yeah, we're all being held hostage by the NRA and money. All right, everybody, we'll be right back with uh, South Carolina State House candidate Dan Duncan. He's in a deep red district that could actually pull off a victory. We'll tell you why right after this. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, are you looking for a boost of hope and inspiration this midterm year? We know it's been a hard slog, but Future Hindsight has your back. It's an award-winning podcast that takes big ideas about civic life and democracy and turns them into doable action items for you and me. Tune into the show for in-depth conversations with citizen changemakers and how they're building their civic action toolkits. This midterm year, Future Hindsight will bring you conversations that truly support your decision-making beyond the horse race. Future Hindsight is currently in their 16th season, The Social Contract, with interviews on experts and subjects from ending the subminimum wage to the technocracy, each episode has been educational and action-inspiring. I enjoy this podcast tremendously. She's been on our show. You will love it. Uh, Future Hindsight is the podcast that understands change is necessary, and each of us needs to stand up and start taking action. This week, join host Mila Atmos for brutally honest conversations with Andrea Miller of the National Institute for Reproductive Health. They discuss how we can prepare for the unwelcome reality of a post-Roe America and what it took to get here. You'll learn something new and hopefully come away feeling empowered to take action. Listen to Future Hindsight every Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts, or tune in on futurehindsight.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time to Flip It Blue. That's right. We're bringing back the old Flip It Blue segment, and we're going to kick it off with a member of the Leguminati, everyone, a progressive Democratic trucker uh, running to be a candidate. He's a candidate and he's running for South Carolina's House District 14. Please welcome Dan Duncan. Hi, Dan. Hi. So glad to be here. Um, I've been following you since you first appeared on Opening Arguments, and you're the first, literally the first podcast I listen to every morning to stay informed. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And your candidacy is so interesting because, first of all, let me ask you a little bit about the 14th district, uh, the House district in in South Carolina, because um, what are some of the demographics? What sort of folks are we talking about here? Well, we're a very rural district. We have one pretty decent sized city, um, but Despite having multiple different types of uh, reinvigorating projects, our city was actually on a on a network show called Main Street USA about 15 years ago. Mm. And so we've had national attention trying to revitalize this area, but we're still very low on industry, uh, very economically depressed. Um, and we're about... 60% white, 
10% Latino and 30% black. And, and a lot of those are just regular poor working folk who have to show up, leave town to go for a job, come back, work all kinds of hours and be away from their family a lot of the time. And they have to drive these terrible, terrible roads we have in South Carolina. And I imagine the terrible roads and economic depression have a lot to do with your incumbent, uh, who you're running against, named Stuart Jones. Uh, You've touted him as a Ron Paul protege, a sovereign citizen level troll. And if anyone's unfamiliar with sovereign citizens, you might remember some of the January 6th insurrection defendants, you know, saying that they are their own body and the government has replaced them with some thing and that they're they're the real person and they sign their names in in blood fingerprints and red ink and whatnot. It's a very, very uh, weird and interesting sort of a group of folks. And so that's the kind of level of person that we're dealing with here. And, and a lot of that, I assume, uh, is what's lending to to the economic depression in your area. Yeah, the Republican Party has been in full control of both houses of Congress and the governor's mansion for the past 20 years in the state. And that's led people like Stewart, who may have only heard this stuff growing up when it was, when it was a way to trick people into voting for uh, Republicans so that they could make tax cuts. Now we've got true believers like Stewart that are in power and they're trying to pass bills making foreign gold uh, legalized tender in South Carolina, banning masks in schools, and creating Bitcoin industries. And they're still in the minority of Republicans, but he's one of the world, he's one of only seven people to vote against the state budget. And his antics have actually lost a lot of earmarks for the main city of Lawrence because the Republicans can't even get along with this guy. Mm. So that gives me a lot of room to pull Republicans over to my side. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing here, too, and what we haven't really gotten into yet, but I want to get into is that it's not just because he's terrible, but because you're awesome. This community actually knows you and has for many years. Talk a little bit about why why you're so beloved in your in your district there, because, I mean, how long have you been there? And and just talk a little bit about your history living living in this district. Yeah, I moved to Lawrence County 16 years ago when my dad got sick. Uh, My parents had moved out here a few years before that. And I went to work waiting tables at Cracker Barrel. I was a substitute teacher full time at the local high school. And I left both of those jobs to manage the local Waffle House, which is the only one in this district. Uh, I did that for four years, and I've literally cooked breakfast for just about everyone in this district at least once. Everybody loves the Waffle House, and their eyes light up whenever I talk about my time there. Mm. A decade ago, I quit that to become a truck driver because I needed something that legally would allow me to sleep. And that message resonates with a lot of the working people in this state that, you know, whenever I go out into the community and I talk to them and I say that I'm a Democrat running, their face just falls flat. I get resting bitch face real quick. And then whenever I roll through that, 
And I say, but you know, I'm a regular person. I ran the Waffle House. I drive a truck for a living. I know what it's like to spend all my hours working and not get ahead in life. Their face lights up. You can see it in their eyes that I have reached that person. And they may still not vote for me, but they're going to consider it at least. Yeah. And that's something that the Republicans have sort of had a stranglehold on for a very long time is that somehow they're the party of the working people. Well, actually, they're kind of the enemy of the working people. Uh, and and the, the Democrats are the party of the working people. And so uh, even if, you know, this um, this race only sort of ends up in the fact that, hey, some of these voters might actually consider voting for a Democrat or understand that maybe the Republican Party isn't the party that's looking out for their best interests, then that's a win. That's a win, I would say, in, you know, in my book, because that's what a lot of, of, of progressive candidates running in, in deep red, ruby red places and districts are, are attempting to do. They're not always running to win. They're running to start changing hearts and minds because it's a long, long process. And as I said, the Republicans have have held their thumbs on that scale for so long. It's it's a bit hard to overturn. Like you said, their faces go go like sad when when they find out you're a Democrat because everything else they love. Uh, It's just that D in front of your name. However, I think that, you know, as you said, and as I mentioned earlier, you're uniquely situated to actually flip this district and win this race because of those relationships you've cultivated over the years, because you're working class, because you know what it's like. To, to work your whole life, work long hours, not get a lot of sleep and still not get ahead in life. And I think that that's where I think that that's where your your greatest strengths lie. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm super lucky to be situated the way I am, because whenever I got involved with the Democratic Party this year, we had about 50 people show up to the county convention. And whenever I started tracking the um, candidates and saw that no one was filing, I started asking questions and it turned out that so many of them were scared to be able to run against the Republicans, especially in the environment that we're in now. But me, I have no fear of losing my job. I'm in a high demand position and I get paid well and I have a lot of sitting around time just based on the lucky fact of what my run is. So I have time where I can call voters I can create documents. I can reach out to people on Twitter and Facebook. And a lot of people would not have that opportunity. Yeah, no, you're right. You're totally right. A lot of people don't have that kind of downtime. Um, and, and so I think, again, that's another part of your um, one, another one of your strengths. And, uh, and, and I think that, you know, one of the coolest things here is that, you know, part of your platform is infrastructure, roads, bridges. We need to repair our city. We need to repair our towns and our district. And you've driven those roads. You're very familiar with them. You know where the problems are. And also, it's, you know, you, you gonna, you're going to want the, the voters there, the constituents there are going to want somebody in charge of any infrastructure money that comes into your area to spend it on things that matter and not like Bitcoin or, you know, uh, put it back in their own campaign coffers and pay themselves, um, which is what inevitably happens whenever a Republican runs. So I think now, you know, getting into your platform a little bit, I think that infrastructure piece, you are extremely well versed at understanding and how it impacts the voters in your area. 
Yeah, I I know personally that I can't drive a mile of the country roads that it takes for me to work without only hitting the small potholes because I'm never going to miss all of them. And it happens right in front of my house where I had somebody last month pop both right tires on their car in the middle of a small two-lane country road. And if I hadn't been available to grab my jack and take their tires off and take them to go get fresh tires, they would have been stuck out in the middle of nowhere on a Saturday afternoon with no help coming. And people, people know what that does. They know what that does to their bank accounts because most people in this county cannot afford brand new tires whenever they pop like that. Most people can't afford a bent axle and most people cannot afford to do body work. So we see their cars getting busted up and the poor people who have to live like that and let those things build up and build up and build up. They are the ones getting hurt the most by our poor Mm -hmm. infrastructure. And that's just, that's the most visible way that Republicans have failed the state. Yeah, it's definitely like right there in front of everybody's faces, literally. Um, And then also let's talk a little bit about on your platform about Medicaid expansion, because I think that access to uh, quality, timely access to quality health is also an issue. Yeah, um, I see it from whenever I was driving a truck. I don't have ready access to go to a doctor just because it's hard to drive a truck up into a clinic. But most people in the state don't have health insurance can't afford it, even if they are working. Um, And trying to help the people who are trying to do the right thing can't find a decent job. They're going to be just like that car that keeps getting beat up. Those small problems are going to lead to bigger problems. Like my dad, for example, he had an injury where he had a nerve severed by a chainsaw blade whenever he was 17 years old. And it it got fixed at the time, but whenever he turned 40, he didn't realize that that pin that held it together had separated. Mm. He didn't go to the doctor. He continued working for Walmart over and over again and working two jobs on the side trying to get ahead. And by the time he realized something was wrong, that lung that that nerve was attached to had shriveled up to nothing. And he only had half of a remaining lung. And that's the reason that I moved back to South Carolina was to try and have some time with my dad. I'm very lucky that he's still with us. But, you know, people like him who can't go to the doctor either because they don't have time or they don't have good insurance. Those are the type of people that need Medicaid expansions to avoid little problems turning into big problems. Yeah, yeah, and and Republicans view people like your dad as just human capital stock, just a, a working body uh, to raise revenue for their coffers, which is just it's so it's hard to think about. And I'm I'm really sorry that uh, that your dad is going through that. So it happens to so many people. Um, before we uh, get out of here, is there anything else on your platform that you want to talk about? I know you've got a lot of things on here, education, tax reform. What else are you advocating for in, in your particular district that is suited to the needs of your constituents? If we could, I'd like to actually use this time to advocate for something for fellow campaigns like myself. 
right now, small campaigns like mine are really struggling because we don't get the kind of attention that you're giving me right now. There are people like Bill Kimler and Chris Sally in the neighboring districts who they are never going to, they probably don't listen to the Daily Bean, so they wouldn't know to ask for this. And we're not being funneled toward these kind of opportunities. Um, and I appreciate that you're giving me this one. But we need people like me and Bill and Chris energizing the local Democrats, because even if we don't win, we're going to be getting those people to the polls who are going to vote for senator, who are going to vote for governor, who are going to vote for superintendent of education. And we're going to be the tipping point. But we can't do that if we don't have resources. The biggest resource for me has been Vote Builder, which a friend of mine, she paid my entire fee to take care of my campaign for Vote Builder, which when I only had $400 in my campaign account, she paid the $350 fee. And because of that, that is what gave me the knowledge that I could flip this district. That's what gave me the confidence to be more than just a name on the ballot. And if we can start supporting small candidates like myself and making sure that the Democratic Party that controls Vote Builder starts subsidizing that for small candidates and starts making it available for small campaigns, that is what we need most. Yeah, definitely. Um, that, I feel like that fee should be waived. Uh, but I know that people working behind the scenes got to be paid. And so th this is where I come to the pitch um, for all the entire Leguminati and say, everybody, if you just give a buck or five bucks, something small, whatever you can do, whatever you can swing. If all of us do that, there will be enough money uh, in, in these camp, these small campaign coffers and in Dan Duncan's coffers to really, really put a dent in this district. So, uh, Dan, can you tell people where they can either get involved? Um, I don't know if postcards or phone banking in, in such a small district is a thing, but definitely where people can donate whatever they can. Can you tell folks where they can do that? Yeah, the best place is to find me on Twitter, at Duncan4SC, all spelled out. And I've got a pinned tweet with my donation link. My campaign website is in my bio. And I regularly provide links to open phone bank training. It's a tool that I use off of Vote Builder all the time at work, just clicking it on my phone and calling people. I've discovered that postcards are probably not the best. If that's all you can do, that's great. That's awesome. But calling people is great. Direct voter contact, talking to people with your mouth. It seems to be the best way to turn people around. And I've never had anybody be mean to me on a phone bank. Awesome. Well, you cooked them breakfast, Dan. So that it would be weird if they did. That is fair. <laughs> so Duncan, D-U-N-C-A-N-F-O-R-S-C. Do I have that right? That's your Twitter that, handle? That's correct. All right. So that's Duncan for F-O-R-S-C. Guys, toss me a few bucks and let's get this thing uh, rolling. Let's see if we can get a a little Leguminati in the South Carolina State House. I would really uh, appreciate it. And I appreciate your time today. And thank you for sharing the story about your father. I know that that's really uh, a difficult story when we all talk about how these things, how politics personally impact us on a very, very local and very real level. So I appreciate your time today. Again, that's 
Duncan, F-O-R-S-C, Duncan for S-C on Twitter. And uh, we'll, we will uh, catch up and talk again soon. Thank you for your time. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG. As you know, I used to not be able to sleep very well. Stress, anxiety, all sorts of stuff keeping me awake at night. And as it turns out, I was sleeping on a mattress made for someone else. And that's when Helix Sleep came to the rescue. At helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, they have an online two-minute sleep quiz. And that quiz will match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep, so you can start having the best night's sleep of your life. Everybody's unique. Helix knows that, so they have several different mattresses and models to choose from. Soft, medium, firm, body temperature regulating, spinal alignment mattresses. They even have a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. And once you take that quiz, you order the mattress you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights, no risk. They'll pick it up for you and give you a full refund if you don't love it, but you will love it. And Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans available. As you know, Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. They've been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving sleep. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, idioms, shit parents say, shit kids say, shit your mom says, shit you, you know, whatever. Any shit you say uh, that's hilarious. We love to hear about it. And uh, you can send it all in by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And also to make sure that you are subscribed to and following the correct Daily Beans. Now, again, patrons and supercasters, ignore me. Your feed is fine. But if you don't listen to us on Patreon or Supercast, just go to apple.co slash beans, all lowercase. And that is the daily beans you want to follow. One of them will be disappearing. We don't know which one. I don't even know how to tell them apart. They're identical. <laughs> but go to apple.co slash beans, all lowercase, and you'll be, you'll be in the right. You'll be in the right one. You'll be in the right space. All right. First up from Jen, pronouns she and her. Lift every voice, Oregon is sponsoring statewide initiative Petition 17, which would ban large-capacity magazines statewide. Oregon is a strange place, home to the very liberal and also the most broglodyte-like. I choke on the word conservative when trying to describe these people. This is a big first step. Coming out of this horrible loss, there might be enough energy to actually get this to happen. Here's to some hope. Thanks again for everything you do. Here's to you being right, Jen. This is from Josh, pronouns he and him. Hello, my always inspiring hosts. Today I have some good news to share, which I suspect AG will have already heard during the happy hour hangout, but I was happy enough. I wanted to share it with the podcast family as a whole as well. Recently, my health has taken a bit of a turn, so I'm having to add additional monthly infusions to cope, which leaves me with significant loss of work time. And I've historically been managing through uh, judicious, sorry, my brain, judicious application of PTO. With the escalation, however, 
I just don't have enough to cover. So I finally took my proverbial hat in hand and asked HR if they could work with me to find a way to change my schedule to allow full-time employment with dedicated off time for medical events. To my joy and surprise, they accommodated me above the above and oh, they accommodated me above and beyond. And I now have every Friday afternoon off to rest, recover or infuse as the week requires. So often we hear about the companies and corporations who do wrong for their employees. I really wanted to share how nice it is to work for one that did something right. Yes. Yes. Pet tax this week is the local chipmunk who I discovered apparently can reach my patio table and was helping himself to a bowl we usually dedicate to the squirrels. He has his own bowl near the door. He's just being greedy. (laughs) To be fair, I've also included a shot of the squirrel sneaking a treat from the chipmunk bowl. Oh, good. Turnabouts for a play, really. Oh, my God. Can we talk about how cute chipmunk butts are for a second? Because that's all I can see is this chipmunk butt. It's so cute. Oh, my God. Thank you. And the squirrel's like, all right, well, you know what, fucker? (laughs) I'm going to take one out of your bowl. I'm going to do that. So cool that they're giving you time off for that. That's I'm glad. I'm so glad. Um, Yes. And let's hear it for those great employers who do wonderful things. Next up from Laura H., pronouns she and her. Hello, I'm so glad I found your podcast. I'm a recent subscriber. My good news is I work at our local library and June 1st is the start of summer reading. Libraries and librarians, as you know, have been under attack and my library has not been immune. I just wanted to show off our prize station. (laughs) This theme, the theme this year is Oceans of Possibilities. And since I was in charge of setting the prize station up, I went with Pirates. My text, my pet tax is Bella, the long-haired torty, 100% rascal, and Milton, my black and white baby boy. Keep doing the great job y'all are doing. Oh my God, look at this. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. It really is. Oh. <laughs> oh, kitty. The kitties, two kitties. So cute. I love it. All right. This next one's from Sam. Pronouns they, them. Hey, Beans friends. My good news today is after being without an HRT, which is a hormone replacement therapy provider for a few months when my last one moved away, I finally had my appointment the other day. When she moved, I put off finding a new provider because my other option was over an hour away and working full time at a restaurant that made things stressful to say the least. Fortunately, through Planned Parenthood came the rescue for me. They recently launched gender-affirming care in my area, and it went great for me. I happened to live a few minutes away from the office. The staff was helpful and friendly, and I was able to get my blood work done at the same time and walk out with a prescription for my favorite (laughs) intramuscular injection. So for any listeners listening in the Lansing or Marquette areas of Michigan and are looking for an HRT provider, I highly recommend you check them out. While I should point out, there was one anti-choice protester near the building when I left there uh, were two pro-choice advocates to cancel him out. Nice. Attached for my pet tax um, are pictures of my roommates, Cat Pepper and Termy, once again. Pepper is the mischievous black cat who is very insistent that someone wakes up early every morning to feed her. And Termy is the orange guy with resting sad face. (laughs) Oh my God, what a great description of these animals too. I do want to reinforce to the listeners, and I know most people listening to this were very big Planned Parenthood advocates, but it's also not just for women's health. It is a huge proponent of trans health um, for our non-binary and our trans families. So it's another reason Mm. to support Planned Parenthood and make sure doors stay open because in some cases it's the only safe place for them to go where there is gender affirming care and people that are trained 
to be able to work with the community. So super important. And I love that you were able to find one. Um, Sam, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. That's such good news. Um, yeah, it's like when your provider moves away, it's like, oh, that, that has to leave so many people in a lurch. Yeah. Next up from Gerald, pronouns he and him. Friends, I have to share the good that came despite the universe's best efforts to make life hell. Just as my wife recovered from her COVID, my parents, who live across country, contracted, contracted it as well. Mere days before my sister was due to deliver a baby that she was carrying as a surrogate for her gay friends. Okay, that's a lot going on, Gerald. Let's try this again. I just want yeah, <laughs> everybody to get, the, get this straight. So just as Gerald's wife recovered from her COVID, Gerald's parents, who live across the country, contracted it. Mere days before Gerald's sister was due to deliver a baby that she was carrying as a surrogate for her gay friends. By the way, that's super amazing. Super amazing. My mom and sister rely heavily on each other for their support, and their timing could not have been worse. The, t- the timing, not their timing. The good news, with my spouse on the mend, I was able to take a week off and fly out to assist. I was able to help with doctor's visits, pharmacy runs, and get groceries for my parents, and even more doctor visits and pharmacy runs when my sister needed me. Not to mention the unexpected chance to be fun Uncle Gerald to my wonderful nieces and nephews. Everyone is now healthy and doing well. My parents are recuperating. My sister's recovering well. The new baby is healthy and happy with his parents. It was a week of pain, joy, love, and laughter, and I will cherish the memories the rest of my life. Attached as pet tax, quote unquote, is a picture of beautiful blue eggs in the nest that some daffy bird built in my parents' outdoor barbecue. Those are Robin's eggs. They're so cool. My, I was uh, in Albuquerque this weekend. I took a last minute trip to visit my mom, my family, and around the corner in a cactus, which is pretty brilliant. Um, an, a nest just like this yeah. was, was built and it's beautiful. And the eggs were the most vibrant blue I'd ever seen, but they had little black speckles on them. I'm not sure if these do, but it, they were just magnificent. Nature's beautiful. Yeah. It really is. It is. All right. This next one is for Alec. Pronouns they, them. Hello, Dr. Gill and Dr. Dana. I don't know if you have a doctorate, but if you don't, I feel like you're more than earned one of those fancy honorary ones. And I actually do have one from one of our guests. I am an honorary doctorate as well. Um, I'm not buttering you up for a correction. (laughs) Just being honest. (laughs) Alec, thank you for that. So I can continue reading without going, ah, shit, here it goes. Yeah, what's coming? Yeah. I'm writing with some amazing news. I've been on a gender journey the last year, and I wrote before about coming out as non-binary to my amazing and supportive fiancé. I then came out to my family, close friends, and finally my in-laws. Now, most recently, I decided to include my Brazilian jiu-jitsu sensei, who is old school and traditional in a lot of ways. But the BJJ community is widely toxic towards LGBTQIA plus folks. So it was scary. But I trust him, believe that he would put his care for his students overall, um, over above all else. And I was right to do so. He asked polite questions to understand, asked for my help going forward so he could learn. His biggest fear, uh, his biggest fear is uh, saying something that will hurt me. Mm. Tears. Tears came. Now, one big reason I felt I had to come out to my sensei was that after 12 years of training, I was getting very close to my black belt in BJJ. I wanted him to know in advance because it's a big life moment and his name will forever be attached to my journey going forward. I wanted to be out and to to represent. Uh, That was about two weeks ago. And just this Monday, I was presented with my black belt in front of our entire club. I'd never felt so seen, so proud, so humbled by love. I know there are other LGBTQIA plus people with black belts. I'm far from the first. 
But I want to do my part and let others see that you can be queer, you can be trans, you can be you, and you can exist in whatever space you choose. Fuck yes. My pet tax, my sweet baby Ophelia enjoying some sun. I say, baby, she's 18. On vacation at my mom's north. Uh, we're in Ontario, Canada. Up north, we're in Ontario, Canada. She always comes across uh, as stern or mad in photos, uh, but she's the kindest kitty there ever was. And my brother's cat, Monkey. Me too. Same with me. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> I caught him sleeping and he caught me catching him. Now, last pick is me with my senseis. No pets there, just good vibes only. Much love to all the beans. Thank you for being you and doing all that you do. And this is an awesome photo. Fuck yeah. Seriously, congratulations, Alec. I'm super proud of you. This makes me so happy. I have a dear friend who uh, is a non-binary and I believe is a black belt in Kajukembo. Um, and uh, also expressed some of the same things about there is so much... LGBTQIA plus, um, I don't want to say phobia, but it is, it's a world that it, they haven't really dived into to understand to be more accepting. So I'm so glad you had this experience. Yeah, I imagine it would be like the military or the police or MMA or boxing, you know, something totally. that has a lot of really amazing people, but can also have some toxic people. Yeah. So just amazing. And look at this floofy kitty. I know. Oh. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Oh, what a great, great good news segment today. Thank you all so much. We need it. We're going to keep needing it. Please, please send in your good news stories. We would love to hear from you. Even if you just have a, a pet at a local adoption shelter that needs a home, you can send that in if you don't have any pet tax. Um, just some photos of your happy place. I still take Halloween photos, as yep. you know, all year. All year round. And you can send those all into us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And remember, if you're not a patron, <laughs> I just I just spoke like when I used when I was like five, I used to say and a member. And member. Of, and you member. member. And a member. If you if you if you aren't a patron or a supercaster, um, if you're if you're grabbing the free version of this show, thank you so much for listening. And make sure you're grabbing the right version of the show by going to apple.co slash beans, all lowercase, and then you'll be subscribed and following the correct version of this show. We appreciate you so much. Do you have any final thoughts before we uh, get out of here today? Dana? Not today, G. I'm going to save my voice. Yeah, save your voice. And hopefully it'll be better tomorrow. Uh, if not, we're sending you all of our healing vibes and love. Thank you, everybody. I'm the minister of, of vibes here at, uh, at the Beans. So. Thank you so much. And everybody will be back tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. And please vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>